Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So when I was real little, maybe about first grade, so what, six or seven, I had this computer game that taught me how to type, how to type on a computer keyboard. And over time, I got pretty good at it. I could, I could make it through all the challenges and play the games. And if you were successful, you know, you typed your letters accurately and quickly. Your little character would dodge the obstacle or jump over it or make the ball move, whatever it was. And I got pretty good at it. And to progress through the game, you had to take typing tests where you would type bigger paragraphs of, of words and you had to get so many words per minute, you had to type it so fast. And I got through all of them until I got to the last level. And try as I could, no matter what I did, I couldn't get that last level unlocked. I wanted to, I needed to, I absolutely had to get to that last level and see how the game ended, but I couldn't. It didn't matter how well I could play all the other games or how well I had done up to that point, that last words per minute test was just too hard. And so, I had my mom finish it for me. <laughs> and now you're probably thinking, you're missing the point of a game that's trying to teach you how to type, how to learn a skill, or you're thinking, well, you really missed out on the fulfillment of finishing the game yourself, but that didn't matter to me because I just wanted to see how the story ended. What did the last level look like? What were the games I was missing out on? It didn't bother me that I had someone else finish the game for me. The story of Jesus' temptation is a story that's very much like that. We face temptations all the time, and no matter how well we do, we have to admit, we don't perfectly resist all the time. So Jesus stepped in, and he faced the hardest temptations at a time in his life where he was weak from fasting, from being out in the wilderness, and he perfectly resisted the devil. When we fail at our temptations, Jesus stepped in and didn't fail. He conquered temptation because we couldn't do it on our own. And by conquering temptation for us and beating the devil, he made it so that with him, we can resist temptation. So let's take a look now at that story as the Gospel writer Luke records it for us in chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of our Lord. So why did Jesus go into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil? Well, the first verse tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we see that this was all part of God's plan. It was part of the plan for our salvation. Jesus went out into the desert to be our substitute. In order to be our replacement, our substitute, Jesus needed to be a human who faced real temptations. In order to be successful in the situations where we fail, Jesus needed to be placed into those situations. And so Jesus went out into the wilderness to face the devil and overcome him for us. And the words are recorded by the gospel writer so that God gives us all this knowledge that our Savior really did stand in for us and overcome the things that we fail at. So now, we hear of three temptations, as Luke tells us. And the first one really plays on that fact that after all those days of fasting, Jesus was hungry. And so the devil, devil, he offers Jesus an easy solution. He says, "Turn, turn these stones, turn a stone into a loaf of bread. Jesus, why are you waiting around suffering through this problem of your hunger when there's an easy solution right there. You're the son of God, aren't you? It'd be so easy for you, of all people, to just fix the problem. The devil was trying to get Jesus to think that this problem was the biggest problem that he had ever faced, is the biggest problem in the world, and he needed to fix it now. And what's more is the devil was trying to get Jesus to forego being the Messiah, to forego being a servant who came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. As if the devil was saying, come on, Jesus, you're the Son of God. You shouldn't be suffering. You shouldn't have to go through this problem. Just take care of it. But, of course, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus reminded the devil that man does not live on bread alone. Think of how this temptation for Jesus would have come up time and time again. When he fed the 5,000, the people wanted to make him their bread king. He wanted to elevate him. Think of all the times Jesus was tired, but the crowds kept pressing in upon him because they were eager to hear him speak. Jesus didn't let the people make him into their king. Jesus didn't 
shy away from the crowds when they came to him, thirsty to hear him teach them. Jesus didn't get to the end of a long, hard day of ministry and take a cup of water and turn it into wine so he could finally relax. No, Jesus didn't even have a real house to call his own. For as he said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus wasn't concerned with filling his own life with pleasures. He was concerned about the work. He was concerned about his mission, about being our Savior. And he was content to let his Heavenly Father provide for all his needs. But now when we think of ourselves, wouldn't we like to have a ready-made solution? Always at hand, always there for us, something that would be quick and easy because we like to think that whatever problem we're facing at the moment is the biggest problem in the world. It's the biggest problem we've ever faced. We're never going to get over it. This is terrible. Woe is me. I wish I could fix this. That's what the devil wants us to think. The devil wants us to think that we've got to make a quick solution because otherwise we're on our own. We're left hanging dry. God doesn't care about us. But that couldn't be further from the truth. It's not a matter that God has abandoned us or that he's forgotten about us or that he's holding out on us intentionally. Yes, it may be true that God allows us to be tested for a time, but that's only to remind us that every good and perfect gift comes from him. In fact, that's what he did with Israel. Through Moses, he spoke these words, He, speaking of God, humbled you, causing you to know hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, in order to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by the word that comes from the mouth of God. As those Israelites wandered through the desert, they grumbled against God. They wondered where God was. Was he aware of their problems? But of course he was. And he allowed them to want for food so that they would remember that everything they had came from him. If we think that we're going to truly be self-made people who, who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make us into whatever person we want to be, we're foolish to think that we'll become anything without our God. But remember who our God is. He's our good and gracious Father in heaven who gives us all good gifts. For if even earthly fathers, earthly parents know to give their children good gifts, doesn't our Father in heaven know how to give us good gifts? Now, looking again at the temptations Jesus was facing here, we see how again the devil is trying to get Jesus to not be our Messiah, trying to get Jesus not to go down his path of denial and suffering. Let's take a look again at verses 5 through 7 as we hear the devil speak. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to, them, said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. 
It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Now, don't think that this was no temptation for Jesus because as God, he already had the world. Think of the governments, the leaders, the rulers of Jesus' day. Think of them and their attitude toward Jesus. The Jewish Sanhedrin didn't like Jesus. In fact, they schemed to kill him through his entire ministry. The Roman government, well, they didn't really care about Jesus, unless, of course, he was trying to overthrow them, in which case they would just get rid of him. And, of course, we see that eventually the Roman government did play a part in getting rid of Jesus. They were the ones who ultimately gave the authority to crucify him. So, yes, there was an appeal for Jesus to give in to temptation, to forego the suffering that he knew he was about to go through. Jesus could have taken the devil up on his offer, but that would not have helped him in any way. Because really, the devil is the father of lies, and what he was trying to sell to Jesus was just another lie. Look at those words again. It probably caught your ear the first time, caught your attention. The devil says, it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it? The devil thinks that the world belongs to him? Well, of course, the devil is going to believe that the world belongs to him, and there is some truth in that. In fact, Jesus calls the devil the prince of this world. In the book of 1 John, there's a passage which is written that says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The devil wields a significant amount of power in this world. But it's still a lie for him to tell Jesus that by bowing down to him, Jesus would gain glory. And it's a lie to tell Jesus that that glory is going to be equal or greater to the glory that he would receive by completing our salvation. Because we know that it's written in the Bible, in fact, in the book of Ephesians, that after Jesus had completed our salvation and secured it, he was placed at the right hand of God and all things were placed under his feet. And he was appointed to be head over everything for the church. That's real glory. That's glory from God. If Jesus had given in to the devil, there would have been no glory, only damnation. The devil doesn't intend to give Jesus any real glory here, and he doesn't intend to give us glory when he tempts us in the same way. Sure, it's very appealing to us to, to take the easy way out, Right? Suffering is something that we abhor. We don't want to go through suffering. That, that would hurt me. And so we make compromises. We make compromises on our time when it's a little more convenient to stay at home or to be out in the country somewhere instead of coming in on a Sunday morning and going to worship and staying around for Bible class. 
We make compromises. Make compromises when it comes to our morals or what we're going to tolerate because it's a lot easier, the devil says, it's a lot easier for you to just blend in with the world instead of holding firm and standing out like some kind of weirdo who has weird rules that he lives by or that she abides by a standard. The devil says, make the compromise because it's easier. The devil says, go ahead, move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend because why should you have to wait to be happy? Why should you have to wait to experience pleasure? Why should you have to wait when there's an easier way? Don't want to do your work? Throw something up on the screen. You, you don't want to wait around to, to get married? Enjoy all those, those benefits right now. The devil doesn't want us to withhold from ourselves anything because he knows that's going to bring us down. But that's where those words that Jesus references, that scripture that Jesus references comes in. We don't live on bread alone. We don't bow down to anyone other than God because we know that the gifts that we have, the true gifts that are good, they come from God. And if we get too caught up in wanting to please ourselves now, we have the words of Jesus that says if anyone loves his life, he will lose it. It's not about this life. It's not about pleasure. It's not about just making ourselves happy. But that's what the devil wants us to think. But now, Jesus didn't do this he didn't give in to those temptations. He, he kept resisting perfectly. And we've heard that a few times now throughout the service, whether it was the children's message or me standing up here now. And maybe you're thinking at this point, Jesus did a really good job, but wow, I do a pretty awful job. And that should be apparent at this point. But I don't stand up here leading you to that conclusion simply to make you feel bad. You should recognize that that is the case only to realize that that's exactly why we needed Jesus to go out there in the desert and to resist the devil perfectly. We needed him to do it because we couldn't do it. So that wherever I fail, wherever I don't do as well as I want to or as well as I know that I need to, you have a Savior that did did do exactly as well as he needed to in every instance. And so as we look at our final temptation here, we see that throughout all these temptations, there's, there's kind of an underlying element present in all of them, but it's really apparent in this last one that Luke records for us. It's that element of testing God. The devil references a passage from the Psalms where God promises protection. And the devil says, well, why don't you make God show you that he's really going to do that? Jesus, make God prove to you that he's really who he says he is. If God wants you to do something, he should show it to you on your own terms. 
Those are the types of thoughts that the devil puts into our head. He, he makes us think that God needs to come to us in the way that we want him to. Otherwise, maybe God isn't really telling you the whole story if he can't tell it to you the way that you want to hear it. And so the devil puts those doubts into our mind, and yet Jesus, once again, goes back to the promises of God goes back and trusts in God as who he is. And he says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God is God. He doesn't change. His goodness is eternal. He gives us all good things. And if he kept his promise throughout so many years to send us a savior, his own son, to die on the cross for us, will he not also keep all his other promises? And so our Savior Jesus stepped in and conquered temptation for us so that he could become our high priest who can relate to us in our temptations but who also was our perfect sacrifice that gave us life. He conquered temptation because we couldn't do it. And because he's conquered temptation, he has now given us the ability to resist with him as our ally. It's written in the book of Hebrews concerning Jesus and concerning his temptation that because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the Savior we have, a Savior who knows exactly what we're going through when we face temptation. He's like the coworker who's done a project before and can help you through every step because she knows exactly how it's done. He's like the coach who's been through season after season of playing the game, of going to championships, of, of playoff games. The coach has been there. He's seen a few things. He knows what you're going through. He knows how to help you out. He's just like that parent who now has an adult child, and that child maybe has their own kid, and they have questions about why the kid is doing what, what he's doing and why, why it's so hard to get that child to go to bedtime, and maybe the child gets sick and you don't know what to do, so you ask the parent, you ask your parent for help. And that parent knows what it's like to go through those things. That parent knows how the struggle is. And that parent can offer real help. That's our Savior. And our Savior equips us. He doesn't leave us. He equips us with the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. Look at all of these temptations. How did Jesus respond? Was it with his own clever words? Was it with a, a steely resolve where he just ignored the devil and tried to distract himself with something else? No, it was with the words of Scripture going back to the promises of God. And because Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil, we are now children of God. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the devil who tempts us. But instead, we are children of God who listen to his words and are able to serve him in love in Christ. Remember that computer game that I was, I was telling you about at the beginning? 
Well, once my mom unlocked that last level for me, I was able to go in there myself and play all those games in the last level. I was able to see how it ended, how the story came to a completion. There was a sense of satisfaction there. Even though I didn't unlock that last level, there was satisfaction because I had gotten to the end of the game. I had seen what it was like. It was finished. Do you feel that same sense of fulfillment and satisfaction? Because in Jesus, that's what you have. You have fulfillment, you have satisfaction because it's finished. He overcame the devil out there in the wilderness and he carried on through his ministry as the Messiah, as your Savior, as my Savior, as he walked through this world suffering for our sake until he made it to that cross on Calvary where he overcame everything for us. And up there on that cross, what did he say? He said, it is finished. Jesus conquered temptation because we couldn't do it. That's the peace that we have. Amen.